What's going on, everybody? My name is Matt, and I am joined today by Daniel Hamilton. Welcome to the Altered Podcast. Daniel, I'm I'm really excited. We're at episode two now. We're into this thing. I know. And if you've made it this far, uh, all three of you, I uh, just want to welcome you back <laughs> for another podcast. Me and Matt, we were talking about the dip, you know, the the dreaded dip. And, and, and you know, it is it is what it is. I know every podcast kind of has to go through that dip process. Uh, but the, the few, the proud, the faithful, welcome back. Yes, because typically the first episode, and I've noticed this from when I've done YouTube pages and ministry pages, the first thing you put out, hundreds of people, and you kind of get this feeling of, I'm on top of the world, this is it. And then the next thing you do, it's like six, and it's like, uh... What happened? Right. Pe- people just so and and typically that's for two reasons. One, you have all your family that's like supporting you. They really aren't interested in what you're doing. They just want to show that they love you by supporting. Um and then they dip. But then you have the people that just listen to it and are like, "Yeah, this sucks. Like this is not for me. I don't like it. Um you know, I don't want to listen to it anymore." Which is fine. And they and they go away. But for the few that are here, Thank you, because this shows that you are interested, you are in this thing, and and we're really excited. But maybe, maybe there's a few of you who didn't even listen to the first episode. You saw this one, and this is how you're showing your support, is by coming to this episode. I would recommend that you go back and listen to the first episode. You don't have to stop this podcast and go back. This discussion today isn't necessarily tied to the last one. But I would recommend that you go and check it out because it helps you to see what this podcast is about and what we're not trying to be, who this is aimed for, all that good stuff. And um, yeah, that first one is a good one. We got some funny stuff in there too. So you definitely want to go check it out, especially if you don't know us. We talk about who we are as individuals, me and Daniel. And uh, yeah, I think it's it's good. But before we dive in, uh, something that we've been discussing that was kind of funny is how Twitter seems to be just falling apart right now at the time that we're recording oh. this. And you know a lot more about it than I do, Daniel, but uh, you want to, <laughs> what, what has been going on? Well, I'm just going to say something real quick. All right. And I would not consider myself an avid Twitter user. I'm, I feel like I'm on Facebook a lot more. I'm on Instagram a lot more. Uh, but ever since Elon Musk acquired Twitter, I've been kind of keeping my eye out, and over the past couple weeks, I mean, today it is the 18th of November, 2022, uh, there was something trending on Twitter, and it was called, I'll pull it up right now, it's talking about like the end of Twitter or the downfall of Twitter, um, and I was like, what? Like, And first off, it's kind of weird that like on the social media platform you're using, they're literally promoting a hashtag the downfall of Twitter. It's just, it's very, very <laughs> ironic, right? And so I go on and dude, there's like, we know Elon Musk took over. We knew he was about to clean house and change things up. Cause that's, that's what you do when you, when someone that prolific takes something over, you're gonna just start to change things immediately. Well, there's been like this max, like Exodus, literally, not to get biblical on it, like <laughs> this, 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 this like mass exodus of uh, these people leaving the office because they're just kind of fed up. Uh, like, dude, homie went in there. He's taken away, like, apparently Twitter, they used to provide, like, free lunches every day. 
like for their employees. He took that away. Like he, he it's kind of <laughs> funny. And like, they're getting so upset about it, but he took like oh, that no. away. He's making people start to work in the office again, just different things. And people have left, um, just left and right. People are just leaving. And so I wonder if he's doing that, like to like, I wonder if he's making people work in the office and all that stuff just because he's mad at Twitter and is like trying to get back at them in some way. <laughs> right, this is what you get all those years. Yeah. You know, I, I personally, I think maybe he's doing these things just to kind of weed out the people who don't really want to be there or they're just there for clout. I mean, we live in a, in a day and age where like people, they just do things for clout or they have certain jobs just to, just for the clout, just for the street cred. So I think he's just weeding those people out. Um, but man, it's just, I think what gets me the most is if you go to Elon Musk's Twitter page and I'm not endorsing him as a person because not everything on his Twitter page is, you know, biblical or it's not really, uh, Christian friendly. I don't know if that's the right (laughs) word to to use. Oh, Um, that's being, that's being nice about it, but yeah, I I agree. (laughs) But like, if you go to his page, this dude is, he's literally just making memes about Twitter destroying itself it's 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 it's, what a time to be alive that's all i can say we we have this eccentric billionaire who just bought a company and he's joking about it literally imploding Uh, that that's that's where we're at so i'm definitely uh it's 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 been very exciting watching this over the past couple weeks for sure yeah and the people that have been like oh well he's he just spent this money, man. He's going to go broke from this. Like, and I laugh at it because he's the richest man on earth right now. And it's not even close. Like it, it was kind of close between him and Jeff Bezos, but now it's like he's, he's far exceeded it. And so for, for Elon Musk, I don't think he lost hardly anything from this. He's probably lost at the most, maybe a third of what he has. And so for him, even if he loses the whole Twitter platform, I think that he would make a meme out of that. Because it's just, for him, it's a whole joke at this point. I just, you've probably heard this saying, like, even if he's losing, he's winning. That's that's literally, that is the case for Elon Musk. Even if he's losing something like this, he's still winning. Because in the grand scheme of things, I mean, he's just, um, he's, I don't know if he just, he just doesn't care. Or he just has so much wealth, he's just like, yeah, it's whatever. It's just like a little, little just pocket change to me, but... I don't know. It, and you mentioned Amazon. I know I saw an article the other day that Amazon, uh, there's, they lost like a trillion dollars, which is like, which is like the first time that's ever happened in history because companies have never been worth that much money. But they yeah. lost like a million, like like over a trillion dollars, uh, like in stocks or something like that, or I don't know. But yeah, just a lot of crazy things happening um, in the the tech world and the social media world. So. Yeah, and that's like a very and what's funny is is I know that most like obviously the big places that you know Twitter is used worldwide, but as far as the stuff that's blowing up right now, I feel like most of this stuff is very like American centric, and and we we freak out when we see stuff like this on social media and these businesses because <laughs> you know our culture is just we we are so built on success here in America that like when somebody you know, some a, a guy who's worth hundreds of billions of dollars or whatever, that's probably an exaggeration, however much he's worth, like him spending, you know, 20 billion on Twitter and Twitter's not working. We're like, oh my gosh, his life is ruined because he's losing right. a few billion dollars. And I'm like, bro, like, I don't think other people are 
are are thinking about things like what I think that you know it's just like okay it is what it is he's lost a billion dollars whoop de do I don't even think he is thinking that serious about it <laughs> yeah um, we're freaking out about it and there's people like starving in the Middle East you know yeah for um, real like it, it's it's, <laughs> it's first world problems man and and right and and that's actually a good a good segue into our discussion because you know language in general is is one thing that's different but like how we think about things in america specifically is so different than how the rest of the world might think about it now that's excluding thing i mean when i say america or i i guess you, uh, you could put the label the west because you have america you have canada mexico england i would kind of throw england in there as well or europe because europe they think about things very sim- similar to america and so when I say that, I kind of throw them in there as well. But we think about things, you know, very, we're all focused on the numbers and, and all the static statistics that are out there on things. And, and, and seeing things like this on Twitter is like, we, we think about it in, in, oh my gosh, he's failing because the statistics don't add up. And, you know, people in other parts of the world may see things totally different. And not to, you know, this is kind of like a cheesy way of, of bringing it into a biblical discussion, but the same is true really about the Bible. Like, we in the West view things in the Bible so different than people in the East. And the reason why this is a big deal, and this is a discussion, you know, when I first learned about this, this revolutionized how I saw the Bible, how I saw God, how I saw the world around me. The, the audience for the Bible is the Eastern audience. They, they are a different set of people than we are because people, and what's funny is, is nobody will say this, but they, they live their life and read the Bible and, and, and you know interpret everything about their life as though the Bible was directly written to them. Like the Bible was written to 21st century America. You know, you see all those, those funny, tell, uh, well, I'm not going to give any examples, but those, those people that are on TV that talk as though America is Israel, America is the original audience of the Bible, you know, and it's funny to think about, but it's crazy how many people, especially in the Bible Belt, that read their Bible as though it was written to them. And I'm not saying it's not for us, we, we can definitely learn from it, but the Bible was written to a specific audience in a specific, specific context who thinks about things a lot differently than we do. And so one example that I love is the idea, uh, like imagine you're in science class, right? In high school. I, I know some of you may still be in high school, but imagine you're in science class and, and you're dissecting a frog. Now, Daniel, I'll ask you this and, and you can kind of be my, my uh, you can be the voice for the audience, if you will. If, if you are dissecting a frog, you open up the frog. I'm not trying to get gross for those who may have a soft stomach. But mm. but what is typically some questions you might ask if you're dissecting a frog? Well, I guess my first thing would be I want to know what's inside it. Like I'm looking for like specific like body parts or organs uh, inside the frog. Um, not obviously not to get too gross, uh, but I guess that's kind of where my mind goes. It's like what can I find inside this frog? Yeah, and for me, like I don't know if you're like me. I I loved finding again. I. You know what? If at this point you probably would have already turned it off if you didn't like the topic of dissecting a frog, I'm curious as to what the frog ate. So like, I go immediately, I go immediately for the stomach, and I'm like, what? What did the frog eat? And it's usually super gross, and 
the people that I'm with are like grossed out, um, which is funny. Some people go for like the bowels and they're like, oh, this is hilarious. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to throw this at somebody. Um, but we typically look at, you know, we look at a frog in a more analytical way. Like how, how does this frog's body work? Right. And we look at the science behind it, the, the, the facts about the frog. Well, an Eastern, let's, let's just say the same frog and somebody else walks in, who's totally different. Let's say they're from Israel. They moved to America and they're attending your class. A question that they might ask about the frog is, what, what's the frog's name? And, and we might pause and be like, that is, that's so weird. Like, why? Who cares? We're just dissecting a frog. And they might, they might ask, you know, what, what part of the lake did the frog live? What do you, did you, you think they had a family? What, 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 do you, what happened to their father? And they're asking all these questions about the frog's person as opposed to the facts about the frog. And, and, you know, this is a, a really cheesy example. I just feel like that's practical for us. But we think about things so different. And some of you may be thinking immediately about the Bible, about how we may have looked at things analytically where they're looking more at the story. Let me give you another example. We'll, give, we'll use a biblical example. Whenever we go to, and I'm, I'm not going to tell you what to believe about this. Daniel may actually disagree with me on this, which is fine. Um, in Genesis 1, when we go to Genesis 1, and we look at the story of creation. What, what are questions, Daniel? I'll use you as an example again. What are some questions that we typically ask about creation? Like, what, are, what kinds of questions would we ask about Genesis 1? And Daniel has no idea that I was going to ask him this question. I kind of no, I have no idea. Yeah, so um, what are some so questions the, you would ask? Um, the questions that kind of go, like, in my mind is man you really got me on the spot so i guess for me i'm wanting to know where it all took place right yep. uh like like geographically like if i'm looking at the world uh, I, i'm wanting to know how long it actually took like i i know mm -hmm. it's kind of like there's different ideas of out there about like how long it could have taken or how long that process really was uh over the quote unquote um days that are mentioned in the bible uh, but that's kind of where my mind goes. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah. And that's, that's conversations that we have in the West. We ask, you know, was it 24-hour days? Was it, you know, longer periods of time? Was it actually seven days? Uh, where did it happen, like you said? Where geographic? can we find the original spot that got? And that's the kind of questions we ask. And those aren't bad questions. Like, those are great questions to ask. But the original audience, the Eastern audience, Let's, you know, there's two possibilities as to who it was written to. We're not going to talk about authorship or anything like that. It's way too deep for our discussion. But let's just use, let's say Moses was speaking this to the Israelites who just left slavery. If you're a, a, a person who just left slavery, what good would it be for someone like Moses to start teaching you, like, like hey, here's how, here's how the world was created by God? Like, for one, they might be asking, okay, like, that's great, but we're, in, we're here in the wilderness and we're kind of suffering. Like, they're not concerned about those kinds of questions. What they're wanting <laughs> there's always to know, that one guy, right? Always that yeah, one there's guy. There's always like, that really? one guy. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but what questions that they might be asking when they're listening to this is what, what is the person that's writing this or teaching this? What are they trying to teach us about God? Who is this God? What is this God like? And, and how do we fit into this story? 
they're not asking questions about the the science behind it because they're not concerned. Like for one, they don't even have science like we have it today. But they're just not asking those kinds of questions. And I'm not saying that the questions that we ask in the West is wrong. They're not wrong questions. But I think if we're going to get the most out of the Bible, we have to place ourselves in their shoes. How are they asking questions? Because that is the inspired conversation. Whenever it's, whenever Paul writes that all Scripture is God-breathed, theopneustos, God-breathed, the, the inspiration comes from the original conversation. It doesn't come from the questions that we bring up that have nothing to do with the story. That's not inspired. Mm-hmm. What's inspired is the conversations that they're having. That's where the goodness is. And so another analogy that I was given, this is a little bit more practical for anybody who may be a musician. When we're, when we're approaching the Bible, um, think about playing a piano. You play with two hands, right? So, Daniel, what does the left hand typically do when you're playing the piano? It plays, like, notes that are lower. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, yeah, the bass notes, right? Like, it plays the basic, here's the bass notes, uh, here's the, the, the body of the, the song. But if you just have the bass notes, do you really know what song's being played most times? Most of the time, no. Right, you, don't, you have no idea what they're playing most of the time. Uh, but if you, so imagine you have just the right hand, the complete opposite side. The right hand is typically plays the melody, right? It typically plays like let's just say Oh McDonald, like dun 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 dun. At that point, you kind of know what the song is, but it's missing the the depth. It's missing the bass. And so, what this discussion really is is it's putting both hands together. I would put the the Western thinking on the left hand. I would say the Western conversation. It has some body. It, it sounds good but it's missing the melody. It's missing the inspiration. And that's where the right hand comes in. And that's what this discussion is, is based on. So I'm, I'm going to give some examples. I won't go through all of these because I, this will keep our discussion way too long, but I want to give you some examples. This is, these are some of the examples that were taught to me about how we would see things differently than the Eastern mind. And, and as we're going through these, think about some biblical passages that maybe you looked at through a Western lens that if you looked at it through an Eastern lens, you would have a totally new set of questions. So let's, let's go through a few of these examples. Let's talk about how we express truth. So if, if we're in the West, we express truth through using things like outlines and bullet points. Maybe you have a slideshow, you know, like most, most of us are, are used to having slideshows and, and seeing the teacher put something on the board for us. Like, like what is the truth? And can we see the truth? And can we describe the truth? Like the, the ex- a good a good question that we can kind of gauge this on is Daniel. I know that's kind of written on our notes here, but if if I were to ask you what is God like, what would you typically describe God as like? Um, I would say someone who is loving, someone who is above all else or sovereign. Um, it's kind of where my mind initially goes to. Exactly. They're always words that have some kind of definition, because then after you say that, you would have to ask, okay, well, what does it mean to be loving? What does it mean to be omnipresent? What does it mean to be sovereign? What does it mean to be full of grace? But in the Eastern mind, they process things totally different. They use things like word pictures or story. So if we go to the same question, what is God like? They may say something like this, God is a fortress. So if you hear Daniel someone say God is a fortress, what where does your mind typically go? Like how do how do you process that? 
Um, well, I'm probably a little confused at first, but unless you've grown up in church, you've heard, you know, words like that used to describe God. So if I were to hear the word fortress, I would think of someone who is like solid, right? Someone who, uh, is like, like can't be moved or can't be changed. Exactly. There's so much that we could talk about with that word, right? Like God is a fortress. We could do an entire discussion on God as a fortress, or God as a strong tower, or God as eagle's wings. Maybe you heard it this way. The Lord is my shepherd. Like the word shepherd, you could go so deep into that, but we don't use words like that. We use, we love to use adjectives. Now, let me say this. Is it wrong to be Western? It is not wrong to be Western, right? There's nothing wrong with the bass notes. The bass notes are playing the right thing. I don't want this to, I don't want you to come away with this thinking, it's bad that I'm Western. There's nothing wrong with being Western. But I do want to say, if we're going to put ourselves in the Bible, we have to see things the way that they do. Let's, get, let's go through another example. This one's the fun one. People love talking about numbers. Now, if I were to ask you, Daniel, you know, give me, give me a, uh, well, you know, I'm going to give you an example. If I have you give me an example, it may not work for the example I'm trying to give. If I were to say, Five plus two equals seven. Like, would you think that there's any other possibility? Could five plus two equals, could that be any different? Like in, in our Western mind, like, is there any other way to look at that math problem? I think it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Unless you flunked out of school and don't know how to do math. I mean, that's yeah. Five plus two is seven. <laughs> Shout out to all my flunkies. <laughs> yes, sir. Or you could say two plus five equals seven, or maybe seven minus two equals five. Like, Math is, when we think of numbers, we typically think of quantity. And I know what the listener might be thinking, like, what else could numbers be? They're numbers. Well, in the Eastern mind, they see numbers as a symbol of something. They're qualitative. So 5 plus 2 equals 7, they might say it like this. The books of Moses plus the tablets of Moses equals the days of creation. That's so and, crazy. And some people, yeah, some people hearing that are like, that's, that's weird, that's uncomfortable. But go through your Bible and I'm going to give I'm going to give you some numbers here as an example and their symbol and I want you to, next time you go to a bible passage that has numbers think about these symbols and tell me it doesn't make that text so much more rich because now you understand what they're doing with numbers so let, let me just give you a few of these examples the number 1 typically represents god because there's the shema it's the prayer that the jewish people pray twice a day. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's from Deuteronomy 6. Uh, the number two typically represents the tablets of Moses because they're associating all of this with the text. That's all they're interested in is putting things with the text, with what God said. Three typically in the, in the Jewish mind represents community. Now I know in the West, we like to put the word Trinity with the word community. This is going to be a, a, a wake-up call for some. I am Trinitarian. I'm going to go ahead and say that before I say what I'm about to say. I believe in the Trinity. Please don't take what I'm saying as me discarding the Trinity. I am 100% for it. But the Jewish mind in the Old Testament, there is no concept of the Trinity. There, there's, if you go to the Old Testament and look for the Trinity, you're, you're going to find it as a Christian. But there's nothing that specifically talks about the Trinity in the Old Testament. And so they don't think about the Trinity when they think of three they think of, you ever heard the passage, if two or more gather together in my name, or if two or three ask for anything in my name? The reason they use those passages 
is because three represents a community. Because two is like, okay, we're, we're sitting down at a table one-on-one. But when you add a third person, then you have a community of people. And so that's what they think about when they think of three. And then there's the number four. This number typically represents the Gentiles. The, the people of Israel were called to be a kingdom of priests to all the nations. Who were all the nations? To people, the people to the north, the east, the south, and the west. Four points. Uh, the number five typically represents Torah or the books of Moses. Uh, I'm going to skip a couple of these for the sake of time. Uh, the number seven typically represents completion or the days of creation. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean perfection because the Eastern mind has no concept of perfection. They don't think about things that way. They think about complete or good, not necessarily perfect. Uh, and I'll give one more example. The tribes of Israel typically represents you know, the number 12. Now, let me give you a scriptural example so, so we can put this in, into, into perspective. If you add zeros to a number, like let's just say five, if you add the more zeros that you add to that five, the more of a multitude that you're trying to express. So if I say 500, you're like, that's a lot. Like that's, It's a multitude of, of people or a multitude of whatever. If I say 5,000, it's like, okay, that's a bigger multitude of people. And so when they add zeros, they're typically talking about a multitude of something. So let me give you a scriptural example of where we see this. Think about the feeding of the 5,000. When we talk about the feeding of the 5,000 in the West, I'm sure you've heard this before, Daniel, where people are like, oh, you know, 5,000 was just the men. If you include the women and children, it was probably a lot more. Have you heard that before? I have. Yeah. And so that's it's something that we talk about in the West. And I'm not saying that's wrong. It could be the case. But Jesus, when he's feeding the 5,000, he's feeding the Jewish people. And there's no number that better describes the Jewish people than five because they live by the Torah. So when Jesus is feeding the 5,000, if you really dive in, you, please go and read this in your spare time because it would, really, it would really bring this to life. But if you see what Jesus is trying to teach here, or the author of, I believe this is Matthew that talks about the feeding of the 5,000, or maybe multiple of them do. Either way, they're trying to point out the fact that Jesus is feeding the Jewish people the Torah. He's feeding them the law. Like, he is the law. He is the one that, that, that is fulfilling the law for them. And he's feeding them that law. It's so much deeper than just saying, oh, there were just 5,000 people there. Think about the number four. Four means the Gentiles. When we have the feeding of the 4,000, who is Jesus feeding? He's feeding the Gentiles. It's so much bigger than just talking about how many people were there. There's a, they, they, they don't waste words, these people who are writing this. They don't just say, I'm going to randomly talk about how there were 4,000 people that were fed. Cool. Like they're, they're going somewhere with that. Think about the loaves and the fishes. If I, I'm going to have to look this up to remember, but I believe there were five loaves and two fishes, right? Mm-hmm. Who yeah. did Jesus feed the five loaves and two fishes to? The people of Israel. Five, the books of Moses. Two, the tablets of Moses. Feeding the people of Israel, the tablets of Moses, and the books of Moses. Now, I know for some this may be like super far-fetched, and you may hate that I'm saying this, but it's so much bigger. They think about things so much differently. We would look at the numbers, and we would try to evaluate what that would have looked like uh, statistically or, or numerically, and they're just not interested in that conversation. Now, I will say this. This isn't true for every single number you read. So if you go through some of the genealogies and you see 
you know, 967. Like, you don't have to break down all of those. It's, it's not that deep for some of that stuff, um, or at least to my knowledge. But you can overdo this. But if you really, like, I would recommend when you read these passages that have numbers, ask that question. Could the author be saying more with these numbers? And if, if not, then great. But if so, I think you could go a lot deeper with that. Um, I know that's, that's really uncomfortable, again, for a lot of people. Um, but try it. Test me. Test me. And no, no I'm not Jesus. I can't say that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think for me, I mean, it just kind of goes against, I don't want to say goes against, but it just really makes you reevaluate how you approach things that you have read your entire life, right? I mean, I, I, I've grown up, we mentioned some of these Bible stories that I've read, I don't know, a thousand times. And just mm-hmm. to read it through a lens like that, it just kind of, I, I will say, it just challenges is like, oh, like there's more substance there than what I had originally had thought. Yes, and you and listen, knowing this, you do not have to reject your Western questions on this. You can still ask the question of, you know, 5,000 men or probably was more. You can still ask those questions. Those are fantastic questions, and they have a place. But if we're going to get the inspired conversation, then we have to start asking the deeper questions. There's something deeper going on. And if you don't, it it is not a requirement that you do this, but I'm saying if people really want to dig in deep to what the author is trying to say, there's something deeper happening. So let's let's go to a little bit uh, of a shift gears a little bit. I know numbers kind of make people's head hurt and they probably didn't come to this podcast to talk about math. So let's go a little bit (laughs) in a different direction. (laughs) Let's talk about eternal life. Here, this one's going to make some people uncomfortable. And this one, you may disagree with me, Daniel. That's fine. Um, eternal life in the Greek. Typically, when we talk about eternal life, what do you think of when I say eternal life? Um, when we all get to heaven. <laughs> That's where my mind kind of goes. Yeah. Pentecostal roots, baby. Exactly. We, we talk about, you know, how long we live, right? Like I'm, when I die, I'm going to live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever in heaven. That's typically where our mind goes in the West. And that's not, listen, that's not wrong. I'm not saying that's wrong. But the Eastern mind, they are not, that's not a question that they're interested in answering. They, they don't, they're not concerned with life after death as much. They're more concerned with life here and now. So eternity, eternal life, for them, is the quality of life now. So let me give you an example that I heard that I thought was pretty funny. It's kind of lighthearted. When you go on a first date with somebody that you really, really like, and you're having a blast, Daniel, would you say that time feels like it goes by way too fast when you're on that? Like when you first went on a a date with Hannah, did that date feel like it went by extremely fast, even though it wasn't, you know, a short amount of time? Absolutely. There just wasn't enough minutes or hours in the day. Yeah. Absolutely. That feeling is what the Eastern mind would call eternal life. Is a feeling of, I could do this forever. I am in such an abundance of, of emotion and love and, and life. Like that is eternal life. Is life lived to the absolute highest. Now, if you're talking about the opposite side, like eternal uh death, if you want to use that language, they would see the opposite side of the spectrum of imagine you're in class and it's the last day of school and you're watching the clock for the last hour. Would you say that time feels like it, it just go, is taking forever? Like it's suffering. It's almost like you're suffering because you're watching the clock go, right? 
Right, for sure. And so that's what they would describe as, as the bad part of it is like, man, I'm just watching the clock and it's like, this is taking forever. This, like, and that's the word, like, this is taking forever. Obviously, it isn't actually taking forever, but it's a quality of that time that you're experiencing. That is how they use the word um, forever or eternal. The word in Hebrew is olam hava, and that typically is what we talk about whenever we um, we get to uh, you know eternal life. And so, as far as um, you know, let's talk while we're on the topic of life. Think about the afterlife. You mentioned um, when we all get to heaven. Um, <laughs> so, like typically, whenever we we talk about the afterlife, we we just love that conversation, right? We love talking about like how, how many sermons have you heard where you're talking about heaven? Oh man. I mean, that's a lot of our sermons are kind of ending on that thought or that note of, you know, everything we're doing now is for when we get here. Right. Yeah. It's all about like, you know, and we even have those songs called, you know, oh, uh, some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. We just love, <laughs> yeah. we love talking about the afterlife. But let me say this. If, if, if you go to Israel and you bring up that concept today, they would, I mean, they would be like, that's great. But like, I, I'm more interested in what we want to do here now, like here and now the afterlife, it'll come when it comes. Great. Fine. When we die, sure. Afterlife. And and that's why when they talk about the afterlife, they use a certain word in Hebrew called Sheol, which means the grave. And that's how they, that's the only time you'll see them talk about a quote unquote afterlife. And they're not even talking about afterlife. They're just talking about being buried in the grave or being put somewhere when they die. They're not our Bibles use the word heaven a lot in the Old Testament. The word heaven for them is synonymous to sky. The same the Hebrew word that's used for heaven. Uh, I don't remember. I don't know the word off the top of my head. But if you look it up in the Hebrew, it it is the exact same word as the word sky. So if you see them say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Another way you might translate that is, in the beginning, God created the sky and the land. And I, and I, that's just how I, you know how I see it. If you look at it on any basic lexicon, but we're just more interested in talking about the afterlife, and they're not. Now, you know, we could talk a long time about that, but let's let's move on to a couple of these others. I'm going to have to skip some of these as well. Uh, let's see, which one do I want to talk about next? Let's talk, about, let's talk about sin, error and sin. So when we think about sin, we typically focus on our own personal sin, right? Like we, there's sermons built in America every single week about, think about, you know, all of the things that you think that are wrong, all the beliefs that you have. And it's almost like we talk about sin sometimes as like a separate entity within yourself. Like you have to get rid of sin. You have to have the Lord remove this sinful being within yourself almost. You know what I'm saying? Like we we use that kind of language when we talk about sin. And that's not wrong. I'm not saying that's wrong. But the Eastern mind, and I heard some I heard someone um from Israel actually say this. They said, when people ask me how to get rid of sin, I just simply say, stop doing it. Because for them, that's that's all it is, is if you want to stop sin, stop doing it. Boom. Great. It's over. And it's just, and I'm not, again, I'm not trying to like, again, it's not wrong to be Western. We need those base notes. We need those base notes. We need to understand how the frog works. 
but it's just not a conversation that they're having. And so we need, again, we have to place ourselves in their shoes. Let me go through a couple more examples. I know I'm talking a lot and I'm not giving Daniel a whole lot of space. <laughs> um, let me go. Th- let's talk oh, about. I'm God. loving it. Okay, cool, cool. Don't tell me that. I'm going to talk for another hour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about God for a second. Let's get away from, from uh, the ideas of life. Let's talk about God. If I talk about the existence of God, how often, Daniel, do you see people assume that there's no, like, you know, we have lots of atheists here, right? And they're, they're, we're always having discussions about how to prove God or apologetics. Oh, man. Like my TikTok um, timeline, my Facebook timeline, I see multiple videos of people just trying to argue. You, you know, you've you guys seen the videos of people just trying to break it down and and tell them how wrong or right others are. So yeah, you see it all the time. All the time. It's all about we have to prove that God exists, and if we don't, we can't believe in Him. But in the Eastern mind, especially the time of the Bible. Because the time of the Bible, if you would have told them there's no God, they would have been shocked. Because they start with God exists. You have to prove to us that He doesn't exist for us not to believe. Because I mean, that's why That's why we see so much idolatry in the Bible compared to what we see today, as far as like actual gods, is because they their whole lifestyle was built on gods. Do we serve the gods of Baal? Do we serve the god of Israel? Do we serve the gods of Mesopotamia, the gods of Egypt? Which gods do we serve? Because God exists. We just need to know which one we need to follow. For us, we're all about, does God exist? Why does he exist? And can we prove that God exists? And I'm not saying, again, if you're an, if you're an apologist and you love talking about apologetics, great conversation. It's just not a conversation the Bible is having. And, that, and that's, again, that's very important that we, t- that we address that because it, it, one quote that I heard, I love this quote. It says, uh, let me read it so I don't mess this up. If we ask questions the Bible isn't asking, we will always get the wrong answer. Mm. That blew my world up because there are so many times we ask questions that the Bible isn't even trying to ask. And while it is okay to talk about those topics, you're never going to get to that inspired answer because you're asking a question the Bible is not interested in trying to answer. If I were to go, if let's say that I heard a parable by Jesus and Jesus, you know, goes through this, this huge parable about, let's just say, you know, the, the, the good Samaritan. If I were to respond to Jesus and be like, Hey, like, uh, can you prove that the good Samaritan existed? And can you tell me like how old he was? And Jesus would be like, you have missed the entire point of the conversation, bro. Like you, you have no idea what I'm trying to say, right? Like you, how ridiculous would it be if I went to Jesus and was like, you know, where did the good Samaritan live? Like, you know, like, can you prove that he existed? Would that not be right. like stupid? Yeah. No, listen, I mean, and I'm laughing because like I could totally see like people from like the Western world, like, really asking questions like that like give me a profile for the good samaritan <laughs> you, you know what i mean like i could definitely see a conversation like that happening that's the funny thing yeah and we we'd build full theologies on that brother we'd have churches the good samaritan church of god like we'd have we'd have a whole church built on why we and if you disagree with us we're going to start a new church as to why our good samaritan belief is better than yours right like that's just right. what we see um but for them they're not interested in that conversation so if you start with the wrong questions you're always going to get the wrong answer 
when I say wrong, I don't mean wrong as in factually it's wrong. I'm saying that you're not going to get the inspired answer that you're looking for if you're asking questions the Bible's not interested in. Uh, let's talk about how we describe God. When we describe, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but we analyze God's characteristics. Like, uh, you know, what is God like? He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's massive. He's huge. And we, we give all these characteristics about God. But the Eastern mind is more focused on God's relationship with humanity. He relates to us by, you know, he's he's ever present in our time of need. He's a good shepherd to us. He's all, it's always a relational aspect where we're more focused on trying to put labels on God. It, it's just a different conversation. Now, let me let me skip down to let's talk about truth for a second. And this is where I'll kind of end it. And, and then we'll we'll discuss some other things. So truth for us is very static. So Daniel, if I were to ask you what what is truth? I know this is a very very broad question, but how would Boy. you typically define uh, truth? Oh, man, so truth to me is Matt. That's a really hard question to answer. <laughs> give me give me an example. Like what what would give me an example of something that is truth? Something that is unchanging. It could be Jesus basic. Is the, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. True, but g- give me something even more basic. Like, g- like you know, I'll give you an example. Uh, the I'll sky is out. blue. There you go. The sky is blue. The sky is blue. It can't not be blue. That is the truth, right? The sky is blue. And that's how we think about truth. We think about truth as absolutes. And we I, that reminds me of the Star Wars, like, you're, the Sith only focuses on absolutes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. we, we, we think about these absolute truth is the term that we like to use. It's a very Greek, very Western way of seeing truth. For the Hebrew mind, truth is dynamic. It's going somewhere. So, and the, we see this, and this is going to make some people uncomfortable and squirmy, but that's fine. God, for example, makes a covenant with Noah, a very broad covenant. I am never going to flood the earth again. I'm, I'm with you. I will remember my covenant. And then we see this truth unfolding in Abraham. God gives a new promise to Abraham. It doesn't take away the promise from Noah, but he gives a more specific uh, uh, more specific promise, a more specific covenant. Does that make what happened with Noah not true? No, it's still true, but we see this truth unfolding. If you follow the story of the Bible, you see that that God and everything that he's trying to do is becoming more true, more specific, more dynamic. It's going somewhere. It isn't that God made a promise with Noah, the end. Like that's a, it's such a bad way to look at it, in my opinion, because if you follow the story of the Bible, you see that the Bible story is going somewhere. It's not to say that what happened before wasn't true. It's that it's what we are now seeing as we go towards the end of the story. When we see Jesus, we're seeing that these, these things about God are now more true. We're seeing the thing that is the most true about humanity, the most true about God, because we find Jesus who is the most truth. And I'm not saying truth can't be absolute. Truth is, always starts with God. God is absolute truth. But if we talk about the truth of the Bible, we have to recognize that the Eastern mind is taking that truth somewhere. It's unfolding before us. It's not something that is just relative. It is something that is going somewhere. And, and as, you know, as we talk about different topics in the future, we'll go through some of this example. Uh, we'll, we'll use this example elsewhere. 
Um, but the, the truth is always going somewhere for the Eastern mind. And we have to recognize that when we're reading that, when they're talking about God, they're not saying this is the end of the discussion. They're saying, like our podcast, this is the beginning of the discussion. We're going somewhere with this truth. And so it's just such a different way. And those are some examples. I know that some of these examples are, are, are pretty far-fetched, and some people just hate the examples that I gave. And if so, that's fine. The whole point of me going through this stuff is, is we have to realize that a lot of us have been approaching the Bible with Western perspectives and Western presuppositions, and a lot of those presuppositions have provoked us to ask questions that the Bible isn't even interested in answering or asking. And as we, you know, as we go through the Bible going forward, we're going to see, like, you know, I'm not, we're not going to go verse by verse through this entire podcast, obviously, but when we go through Scripture, you're, we're going to notice that there's conversations that the Eastern audience is having, especially if you, like, uh, I don't know, you know, Daniel's probably may go a different direction with some things that he talks about. But for me, I am interested, and I'm not saying he's not interested, by the way. This is not a knock on Daniel. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Daniel is going to be, he's, he's absolute false, falseness. No, uh, <laughs> but if, if you hear me talk about scripture, you're always going to hear me talk about the Eastern perspective because that is the conversation I'm interested in having because that's the conversation the Israelites were having. I, I, am, I am down to talk about the Western side of things. Great. But if I'm going to try and figure out what the inspired conversation is, the thing that is most true about the Bible, the most true about God, I have to be willing to put myself in the shoes of someone else. Think, think about this let's, as we kind of wrap this up. Imagine I'm a football coach, right? And I am going through all of these plays with my football team. We're going to run a, a pass play. The X receiver is going to run a post route. Let's just say I say that. But let's say a basketball player is sitting amongst my people. And he hears me say the word post. He's probably going to think, oh, he's talking about posting up, like in the paint. Or he might be really confused that I'm talking about a pass play, about a, a receiver going, like he may be really confused, right? Because he is coming from a basketball perspective, not knowing that we're talking about football. And he might formulate an opinion on what I say in a much different way, wouldn't you say? Like yeah. if, if you have a basketball player hearing football plays, they would see things so different. Whereas what they need to understand is that I'm having a different conversation as the football coach, and the only way they're going to understand that is if they start to learn the way that football players interpret things. The same is true with the Bible. If you go to the Bible as a Westerner, which most of our audience probably is, you have to be willing to set your presuppositions to the side and, and honestly, this, this comes with a lot of research. It takes some studying. You have to study some ancient text and some other things that were happening in that culture. You have to do the reading to understand this stuff, or you have to find reliable sources, and we can include some resources in our show notes that may help you get started. But you have to be willing to place yourself in their shoes and see how they would have processed things. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself asking the wrong questions. And so that essentially is the difference between Eastern and Western thinking is as we think about things so different, but if we're going to get to the heart of what God is trying to say, I believe that comes with putting ourselves in their shoes. And I'm going to ask this one more time, Daniel, is there anything wrong with being Western? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We need the base notes. Those are very, it's vital that we have the base notes in our Western culture. But if we want to get the melody, 
we have to be willing to add in that perspective and consider that audience. So that's that's all that I have to say on the matter, but I, I think that's something that a conversation that needs to be had in churches worldwide because we are unwilling to put our own personal beliefs aside because we think that we are right when the Western way of looking at things is not always the conversation that they're having in the Bible. So, Right. No, and I, 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 I totally agree with you. I think with this, it's, it's, it's easy to take what you've kind of done your entire life when it comes to your relationship with God and, and how you have been brought up, if you've been brought up in church, how you've been brought up in interpreting the Bible, and you just kind of blanket everything under what you're used to. But I know in my own life, um, I find myself opening up my mind and, and asking these questions, um, and it's just, it's amazing to me how much you will realize you've missed, right, over the years, uh, and just how much more is, is, is there for you to absorb and just take in. There's just, there's so much substance some, uh, sometimes, and we just, we miss it if we're not careful. Exactly, and I don't want this to discourage anybody. If you've spent your whole life thinking about things in a Western way, I am not saying, I, we've, I mean, hopefully by now you realize that I, that I am saying that there's, there's nothing wrong with asking Western questions. But if we so let me let me say it this way, if if you are ignoring the Eastern questions, now that you know that there's another perspective, if you choose to ignore that, you may find yourself missing a lot of the stuff that's happening in the text. And we have entire denominations, entire churches built on doctrine that the Bible doesn't even talk about because we put our Western perspective on what we think they're asking. Like we we have young earth creationists and old earth creationists using Genesis one when that is not a conversation they're having. So it's like, for me, I don't, it, it sounds horrible, but I, I just don't care. I don't care if it was 24 hour days or if it was seven ages of millions of years. I want to know why, why did Moses choose to write it this way? Why, why did the author, or if it wasn't Moses, maybe a later authorship, whoever it was, whoever wrote this, I want to know what are they trying to tell me about God? That is the conversation that I'm interested in because that's the conversation they would have been having. Who is this God? What is he trying to tell us? Nothing wrong with figuring out you know, how old the earth is if you're interested in that. But if we're going to get to the inspiration, the theanustas that's talked about in the New Testament, then we have to be willing to ask those questions too on top of what we're already asking in the West. And, and that I know I'm kind of sounding like a broken record, but it's that important that we put ourselves in their shoes if you're going to get to the heart of what God is trying to say through his word. Yeah, for sure. And I don't know about you, but if you're like me, I have FOMO when it comes to the Bible. I yeah. don't want to miss out on anything uh, that God is trying to speak through us or to us uh, when it comes to his word. So uh, I love it. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, and I'll say this to I'll say this, and we'll close it out. I know I'm talking a lot, and we're already approaching an hour. Um, if you are, if you're hearing this, and you feel like you need to become Eastern, then let me go ahead and tell you that that that's not necessary. You you don't have to move to Israel, and you don't have to change everything you believe. You don't have to start doing. You don't have to go to your college campus and be like that math problem is wrong. You didn't say books of Moses plus tablets of Moses, <laughs> like. That's not what I'm saying. Paul would actually disagree with this. Because so, the whole purpose of the gospel, okay? I know I'm kind of switching gears a little bit. But the whole purpose of the gospel 
is that both Jew and Greek, both Eastern and Western, all people in the world are united under the truth of Jesus. And that, like, you don't have to change in order to be right or to be in right standing with God or anything. Like, that's, that's not what it's about. Paul would actually say, you are hurting the gospel in, in Galatians. He would say, you're hurting the gospel if you choose to change who you are to be more true or to be more loved or more accepted. We are just saying in this episode that if you're going to the Bible, you have to be willing to put yourself in the shoes of the original audience if you want to know the true intentions of what was written. And that, that, that sounds super basic, right? Like it seems like something that's a, a novel concept that we should have already had down. But you would be surprised how many people go to the Bible and they try to interpret the Bible through the lens of their theology. This is what I believe, so the Bible must back up what I'm saying. When it should be the op- when it should be completely opposite. I'm going to figure out what I believe, and the lens that I'm going to use is the Bible and its original context. Then I'll figure out what I believe. That is that is the way that you get to truth, not the other way around. So anyways, I know I'm rambling. I'm going to stop now, and we can. I'll let you wrap it up, Daniel, if you want to. I, I, I know I've kind of been talking a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, man, I loved it. Uh, a lot of good stuff we can get out of this episode. Um, just really challenging what we think we know with really what is there and what we can get and, and really just grow into as you're on this journey. Uh, but listen, uh, for our second episode, I want to thank you guys so much for being here and for giving us a listen. Um, we, we love all the support, whether you're family or friends. Uh, we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. And as always, I will say it in closing, <laughs> Altered Nation out. Altered Nation out. Let's go. Let's go.